0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, we're continuing in our study on Ecclesiastes, and now we've come to Chapter 5. And uh, we've seen that the book of Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about some of the futilities in life. A lot of that we're experiencing right now as we ask the question, why are these things happening and how could God allow this to happen? But that was the perspective of the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who looked at life under the sun, meaning life from a human perspective. And so uh, here we come to chapter five, verses one through seven. And it continues the thought of futility from chapter four, the beginning of the chapter, he talked about the futility of oppression. And then in the rest of the chapter, he talked about the futility of just working for work's sake and um, working to get wealthy. Now he's going to talk about the futility that many words can bring to life or incorrect words or hasty words can bring to life. We've heard a lot of uh, words these days. I listen to a lot of press conferences and we hear different reports and then immediately the pundits jump in and Start questioning what did they say, what did they mean, and and um, and uh, they begin to pit one against another, and uh, and accusing people of telling lies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that that is often true of politicians, but I think um, we need to cut a little bit of slack in this difficult time. But we need to be careful with our words. Watch your words. That's what I've entitled this message. I remember back when I was a pastor uh, and uh, a lady called and she needed to come talk to me about something, uh, some service that she was offering. And uh, she made an appointment with me. And uh, for a few days in the future, um, when I was sitting there the few days in the future, she came and uh, she said, oh. I'm surprised that you're here. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, pastors don't keep their words, I've found. Well, actually, I found that to be true, too, not just of pastors, but of many people. Many people don't follow through on the promises that they make, the appointments that they make, and so forth. So we're talking about being careful with our words today. Careless words can cause us to lose the work of our lives. Uh, Futility comes when we say things that we don't mean or or are not kind or uh, that we don't follow through on. During the Great World War, there used to be a saying that said, loose lips sink ships. And uh, that's true in the Christian life, too, that loose lips can do a lot of damage to people. A young um, elementary class was uh, assigned a project to report on famous people, and one boy was assigned Socrates. He stood up in front of the class and read his report and went like this. He said, "Um, Socrates was a philosopher. He talked a lot. They killed him. That's the danger of too many words. How about Marie Antoinette? At least it was attributed to her by some who said, in a time of great distress and famine in the land, she said, oh, let them eat cake. And she lost her head later. Now, the word cake in French is brioche, which was something that wealthy people, more associated with the diet of wealthy people. But think of the words that have almost sunk ships today that uh, politicians have spoken. Uh, deplorables or uh, you can keep your doctor. Things that we hold people accountable for. Um Unfortunately, um, some things are spoken a little bit too hastily. Now, when we talk about words in the context of Ecclesiastes 5, we're talking about the futility that comes to life from from, um, things that are spoken uh, too quickly, vows that are not fulfilled. And this is what the preacher, Koheleth Solomon, sees as he looks at life around him. And he's trying to warn us that we don't want to ruin our lives by the words uh, that we speak. Uh, it's in the New Testament, James summed it up very well when he said, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Well, I want to point out four lessons from this passage in Ecclesiastes 5 uh, that we can learn from Solomon's wisdom. And the first comes from verse 1. Learn to listen before you speak. Learn to listen before you speak. He says to go prudently to the house of the Lord. Literally, what it is, is watch your steps. In Hebrew language, watch your steps. Or We say that in English today as a figure of speech, meaning be careful. Be well prepared when you go to the house of the Lord. Now, that spoke of the temple worship of the Israelites, of course. We don't go to the house of the Lord today because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in one sense, this is much more serious even for us as Christians because anything we say or do is as if we are in the presence of God because we are. We're not in the temple physically, but he is in us. But it does have some applications, I think, for us about getting together as Christians, for example, in a church or church worship service. Go there carefully. In other words, go there prepared. Uh, Don't go there to be entertained. Don't go there to socialize as your priority, uh, don't go there to make business contacts. Go there to hear from God. Don't go there to speak and tell other your your opinions or teach them everything you think you know. But listen first for what God is saying to you. That's I try to make that my purpose when I go to churches. I don't care for preachers who tell a lot of stories and give a lot of opinions and are are entertaining to listen to even though they're dynamic speakers, what I want to know is, are you preaching to me, helping me understand what God is trying to say to me? So that ought to be our first goal. Unlike the Pharisees in the New Testament, we see that we're quick to speak, quick to pray, very meaningless things, very critical things. So when, when I talk about great teaching or great preaching, I'm talking about that, which explains what God has saying. I try to always keep my words and messages based on the word of God, because I don't really think people want to know what I have to say, only in the sense that I can help them understand what God has to say. And so when come, someone comes up to me after a message and says, oh, great message or awesome message, I say, great God, awesome God. Or I say, he said it first. That's not a false humility. That's just the truth. I have nothing great to say, only to remind people about what God has said. So listen carefully before you speak. Walt Whitman, the poet, said, To have great poets, there must be great audiences. Listen. When you sing words to a song in your worship, are you listening to the words that you and others are singing? Or have you memorized the lyrics to the point where you can be thinking about something else and not paying attention to the words? Listen to the prayers of the people or the leaders who are praying. What are they saying? Or are you daydreaming? Listen before you speak. That's the first lesson. Another lesson comes in verses two and three. And this lesson is make commitments carefully. Make commitments thoughtfully. He says, don't be rash with your mouth and let not your heart Utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes from much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. He he talks here about um, uh, being rash with your mouth and speaking hastily before God, and the reason we shouldn't do that, he says, is because God is in heaven and we're on earth. Our viewpoint is so finite and so limited. What do we know compared to a God who knows everything and is above all? That reminds us of the conversation that God had with Job after Job um, pontificated on many topics. God said to him, oh, by the way, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? (laughs) And he goes on to question Job and Job realizes how small he was in the big scheme of things, and how little he really knew. So be careful, especially about how you um, uh, speak before God in the sense of making a vow before God. And uh, I think that's what he's talking about when he talks about um, uh, making words, because this is in the context of paying vows, as verse 4 will see us. It was a part of the Israelite worship and, and sacrifices. They had vow offerings, and you can read that, I think, in Leviticus 7 about that. You can make an offering and you can make a vow. The vow was never compulsory. It was always voluntary. But once it was made, it was expected that the person would fulfill that vow. Fools make rash vows. Wise people speak less and carefully choose their words. George Eliot said, Blessed is the man who, having nothing to say, abstains from giving us worldly evidence of that fact. So, he's talking here about also not just uh, hastily speaking, but he's talking about, in verse uh, 3, dreaming comes through much activity. What does he mean by that? Well, because of all the things that we're involved in, all the uh, activities of life, sometimes our thoughts tend to stray. And just as our thoughts tend to stray, so also our words can tend to stray, and we need to be careful about that. Anybody can talk a lot, um, uh, and they can be distracted in their thought process, and that comes out in their words. And daydreams often distract us from listening carefully to other people. One of my biggest problems is when I am trying to listen to somebody, I'm thinking of all the things I have to do or, or, or daydreaming about something else and I'm not catching the message and I tune out for a while. So we have to be careful about how we listen and therefore also how we speak. Very related. I love what um, one of my professors and mentors, Dr. Dwight Pentecost used to say. He said, public speaking is the art of moving your mouth while you're thinking of something to say. Unfortunately, that's true. A lot of public speaking may be true of a lot of prayers too that are empty today we have a saying you know uh, measure twice and cut once and that just doesn't apply to making things like uh, like face masks or clothes it applies to um what we say measure twice think twice before you speak and don't let people force you to say things or make commitments um that you're not ready to make make your vows very carefully and thoughtfully. Uh, when it comes to volunteering for service, don't let people guilt you into it. Don't let people force you to make a promise that you don't think you can really serve. Don't let me, people make uh, force you into making a financial pledge unless you really feel God is leading you to do that and you can do it cheerfully. So the second lesson is not only should we listen before we speak, but when we make commitments, make them very carefully and thoughtfully. Then in verses 4 and 5, a third lesson. When you make a commitment, follow through on it. See, the vow was never a, uh, it was for the Israelite a solemn religious commitment, but it was always voluntary. And he was expected to fulfill what he promised to do. I uh, listen to these words from Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require of you. Require it of you, and if and it would be sin to you, but if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vow to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Well, that, of course, was part of the law and uh, one of the threats under the Jewish law, which we are not under as Christians, but but for us, is not the principle the same? that God expects us to fulfill our vows, to follow through on the things that we promise. And so uh, even though we can make them voluntarily, once we make the commitment, we should follow through. I, I don't think God expects us to follow through on everything we promise him, but there are some things he does expect. When we make a marriage vow, he expects us to follow through. If someone takes a public office and makes a vow to fulfill their duties or any kind of other job or contract issue, uh, I think God expects him them to fulfill that duty as well. When we join a church and promise to keep certain commitments you know, morally or financially or whatever church membership involves for a particular church, I think God is looking at us and before God. When we make promises to other people, we're making them before God. It's as if we're standing in his presence because he is actually with us. And so even though we may not do it formally, uh, uh, i think god holds us to it and what we have promised with our mouth he expects us to do and follow through Um, sometimes people can uh, make foxhole prayers which are hasty prayers that they don't follow through on for example jonah and uh, after he was saved from the deep and his life was spared He he made a promise to God, and he said, uh, I will sacrifice you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pray what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Well, maybe he had good intentions. I don't know that the rest of the book verifies that he followed through on his vows to the Lord. How about Ananias and Sapphira, who said that they promised all their land to God, but they held back some for themselves. That didn't end too well for them in Acts chapter 5 when they dropped dead. Sometimes people can make vows to their own hurt if they don't follow through on them. Proverbs 20, 25 says, It's a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy in it and afterwards to reconsider his vows. In other words, to make a vow and then change your mind about it or back, backtrack on it. Let me tell you a little bit uh, a little story that happened a few years ago. In the springtime, I was asked to speak at a retreat the last weekend of August, the last weekend of August, at a family retreat. And uh, sometimes I'm a little hesitant to make commitments in September, October, because I like to hunt and fish. And I put in a lot of uh, applications for hunting. And you have to kind of know this this sport and culture, but most states have lotteries and they just pick you and you're very lucky to get drawn if you're drawn. And so every hunter hopes to get drawn. Most hunters don't, uh, but a few times in a lifetime. So I put in for an antelope hunt in New Mexico. and, uh, And I figured I was safe because most hunting seasons are in September. But then I was drawn. And I noticed that the date of the hunt was the last weekend of August. It was a Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And I promised to be with this church Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So being in Oregon, there's no way I could get to New Mexico in time for the hunt. And uh, I was in a quandary, what should I do? Should I call this church and explain to them? uh, And maybe they would understand and I couldn't be with them. But it was getting late for them to find someone else. And I had made a commitment to them. I felt like I needed to make the commitment. And then I read Psalm 15 and it shot me through the heart. You see, Psalm 15 starts out by asking the question, who may abide in your tabernacle? Lord, he's speaking to, and who may abide in your holy hill. In other words, who can come before you and worship God in your presence? Who has clean hands? He talks about then all the characteristics and virtues of the kind of person that can come before God. And this is the one that got me. He says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Well, I made a commitment to this church, to my own hurt, and I decided I can't change it. And so I made the commitment to go, thinking that I would have to give up on the hunt, which I had already paid for. And they do not refund your money. And it's expensive. So I had some thoughts, though, and I started doing a little bit of homework about logistics. And I figured out that I could go do the retreat for them and do all my speaking Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And the only, <clears throat> if I could just miss lunch with them on Sunday, I could get to Portland in time to catch a flight to West Texas from where I could uh go into New Mexico. But how would I get from West Texas Airport Amarillo to New Mexico? Well, I'd, I could ask my neighbors to bring my truck up there. They're retired and they like to, to hunt in the outdoors so they could just accompany me. And would they do it? Long story short, they agreed that they would do it. I told the church in Oregon, you know, if you don't mind, I, I could skip lunch with you on Sunday and I could do this thing that I got chosen for. I'd have one day to hunt Monday because I wouldn't get in a late Sunday night. <clears throat> and you know what they said when I told them and explained it to the group in person? And they said, oh, yeah, we understand. And even the lady said, oh, yeah, we're all in these lotteries. We we get, we get love it when we get drawn. Go, go. They said, good luck. And it was it was so kind of them. But only I only missed lunch with them on Sunday. And so I rushed to the Portland airport and I flew and got into Amarillo late at night and met my friends in my truck with my truck and my gear. And we drove to New Mexico uh, early in the morning and uh and hunted all day, and uh, it was very discouraging. I wasn't seeing anything. and I said, "Wow, i I went to all that trouble for this, but then, late in the afternoon, an antelope walked by, and uh, he was my target, and he became my dinner later on and I kind of felt that that was a blessing from God. I kept my word uh, to these people before god and and God blessed me with that reward. That's just kind of the way I look at it so God is watching the promises that we make to other people and to him because any promise that we make is always before God as our witness. And if you can't get somebody, uh, if you promise something and you can't fulfill it, see if you can cover your basis by getting somebody to cover it for you. You promise to work in the nursery, but you're sick that day. Who can you call to ask to take your place? You promise your small group to bring a meal uh, for the night and you can't do it. Maybe you can call someone else to do it. You promise uh, things that you can't follow through. uh, Try to find someone else to help. But always follow through on the vows that you make. This is especially important when it comes to things like marriage vows or sexual purity vows or time with your family, promises you make to your children, your wife, your husband, about what you're going to do. When you promise somebody financial help, it's important to follow through. I can't tell you how many times people have promised uh, me and said something like, "Oh, when I get rich, I'm going to help Grace Life Ministries, or uh, my plan is to do this or that." Uh, and and 90% of the time, I don't see anything, and I've learned to not expect anything. I only trust God for finances, not not people. There's too many times people have let me down. It doesn't even bother me anymore. But uh, always follow through on the commitments you make because the commitments you make are always made with God. As your witness. The fourth lesson comes in verses six and seven. Careless words can lead us to sin. He says, Don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin or yourself to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. The messenger of God probably refers to the priest here as the one who witnessed the vows and would hold somebody accountable to it. And, um, and so don't say it before him. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? God can bring things to ruin because of uh, the wrong things that you say. And his conclusion in verse seven is that in just it should be read like this: just as in the multitude of dreams or wandering uh, thoughts, mental doodling, and there are also many words that just lead to vanity. There's that word again: futility. Mental doodling can lead to verbal doodling. Words that are meaningless or empty don't have any impact and go nowhere and do nothing for anyone. And then his conclusion is, but fear God. So uh, be careful about your words. They can lead you into sin. If you hastily promise somebody that you're going to marry them and it's just not the right match, it can lead to problems later in the marriage that will cause you to sin or someone to sin. Be careful about the commitments you would make to a church when you join a church because Uh, I think that involves oftentimes our moral character. And uh, if we make the promise, the vow, commitment too quickly, uh, it can lead us to sin as well. We can't live up to our own words, and that becomes a problem. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. He who restrains his lips is wise. <clears throat> you know, the problem with loose words and, and, uh, and gossip or critical words is that you can't take them back. It's almost impossible. There was a man who felt very bad about gossiping on the people in his uh, community. And he went to his pastor. and He said, I feel so bad about gossiping. What can I do about it? And, he, and his pastor said, well, take, take your feather pillow and rip it open. And go put a handful on the doorstep of each of the homes of the people that you've spoken unkindly about or gossiped about. And so the man did that. He went back to the pastor and he said, well, I've, I've done what you said. Now what? And the pastor said, now go collect all the feathers. And of course, that was an impossible task. He couldn't take back all the feathers. Neither can we take back all of our words. When we, when we gossip, when we criticize, when we speak ill of other people. Uh, When we exaggerate something or speak untruths, we can't always take those back and make good on those things. And that affects our reputation, our ministry, and our business. We want to be known that we are as good as our word and don't let our words lead us to sin, to breaking promises, to hurting people. Talk is cheap. Uh, We are not what we say. We are what we are. And we're judged by what we do and whether we keep our words or not. Um, I think we all have spoken very many regretful words uh, that have been unkind to people or about people that we later have just uh, truly regretted. Uh, Our goal should be to say what we mean and mean what we say. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, Matthew chapter 5. We want to be known as people of integrity people of truthfulness, just as God himself is. Or else we will harm ourselves and our reputation. You know, when I go to an auto mechanic or have a service man over, or calling them, talking to them on the phone, I sometimes will tell them, I said, I don't care if your price is not the lowest. What I care about is you tell me the absolute truth. And sometimes I'll, I'll say, if I ever find you not telling me the truth, I'm, I'm going, I'm going somewhere else. We are what we, we say and, and how we follow through on our words but the controlling principle in all of this and how we use our words and follow through with our vows is that the very last words of verse 7 and the passage that we're looking at today but fear god but fear god the niv says stand in awe of god but the fear of god is a is a very common concept throughout the wisdom literature it meant a way of life that was in conformity to god's will it was a way of reverencing god Uh, taking him seriously and living a life in obedience to his will. And fear of God doesn't mean we're trembling in fear, but it does mean that he'll hold us accountable, and we should always have that back of our mind. At the judgment seat of Christ, we will be judged on how we used our life and how we used our words. Paul says, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, I persuade men. So it was a motivation for him to know that he would face the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account For his evangelistic purposes, I guess, is what he was speaking about, just as we'll have to give an account for our words. Matthew 12, verses 36 through 37, Jesus said this, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account, and of it, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. James chapter 3 and verse 1 tells teachers, Uh, That Well, or tells his readers that they oughtn't to want to be teachers too soon because you will be judged for your words, your teaching. Teachers, preachers, uh, speakers, traffic in truth. And we're going to be judged for the words that we use. And it grieves me to hear so many teachers and preachers um, speaking carelessly about God's word uh, and and inaccurately about God's word. uh, But they'll have to give an account for their teaching and speaking, just as I will have to give an account for mine. I sometimes shudder to think about some of the things that I've taught that I've later learned were not exactly accurate, but I shudder more about the things that I've said that were not kind, not sensitive, that were too critical, uh, either in front of people or behind their backs. Um, Maybe you feel that way too, but there are always things that we say that we regret, and yet God, though he forgives us, Uh, will hold us accountable for the things that we have to say. So, what do we learn from our passage? We have these four lessons here. Uh, Let me remind you of them. Listen before we speak. Make commitments very carefully. When you make a commitment, follow through on it. And know that careless words can lead us to sin. But in all of this, the attitude is that Our words ought to be tempered by the fear of God, a lifestyle of living in obedience to him. Purpose to be a man and a woman, man or a woman of your word. Develop integrity and truthfulness in your life. Follow through on your promises. Just like God, our example follows through on his promises. Titus 1.2 says that God cannot lie. And thank God that his promises are the basis of our salvation and our assurance. And we, we can live in comfort and uh, peace without anxiety because of God's promises. And what kind of promises did he make? Promises about everything. But especially in beginning with our salvation. Sometimes when people have called me with questions about their assurance of salvation, I say, well, you need to believe God's word. But I'm still not sure. And so I say, well, it comes down to this. It's not a matter of what you don't believe. It's a matter of who you don't believe. Are you going to believe God or not? See, God made promises. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, All the promises of God in, in him, in Jesus, are yes. And in him, amen. Every God, Every promise that God made in and through Jesus Christ is a yes. In other words, it's going to be fulfilled. He's going to follow through on it. What are those promises? Well, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Jesus said, I'll come again and take you to myself. Jesus said, believe in me and you'll never die. And the Bible says that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. These are God's promises. And he will follow through on every one of them. What an example for us to follow through on our own words now, if you're you're listening today and uh, I hope you take these things to heart because there's a lot of words that are flying around pretty recklessly these days and under the circumstances we're living uh in right now. Um, be careful what you say, be careful what you say. it can do a lot of damage, and be careful what you promise in these times so that when uh Our lock-in is over. You can follow through on the things and the commitments that you've made. But most of all, learn to be as uh, committed to your word as God is to us. That if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are secure forever and you will live forever with him. Have you done that? Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation from sin, from death, from separation from God forever? And put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior because God loves you. And he demonstrated that love when he gave his son on the cross to die for our sins. And he raised from the dead so that whoever believes in this living Savior can have that everlasting life. That's my prayer for you today. Not just in your words, but in your eternal security. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for the opportunity to share in this unique way the word of God. Father, it is your words that uh, are of value to us. Help us to maybe speak less and listen more to your voice and maybe to the wisdom of others as well. Help us to be wise in our world, in our words, in a world that is full of futility and reckless words. And most of all, Lord, we cherish the words that promise to us the eternal life of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more resources,